0: this is the historical halloween special the veil is thin and the dead walk among us before you indulge in some tricks or treats enjoy this episode on the blood countess history's most prolific female serial killer and the inspiration for the vampire lore that became canon with carmilla and dracula It's Halloween, my favorite day of the year, so I had to pop in with another special episode of Storical to send you off into this last spooky night of October. I want to start by offering a trigger warning for this episode. Just to give you an idea, our subject today not only inspired modern vampire lore, but she's also credited as being the most prolific female serial killer of all time. There will be talk of torture and blood, so if you're squeamish or have kids with you, maybe sit this one out. Okay, for those of you who dare to keep listening, today we're talking about Erzabet Bathory, which in the West is often pronounced Elizabeth Bathory. Some of her colorful nicknames include the Blood Countess and Countess Dracula, if you see where we're going with this. Now, a word of warning, the names in this episode are all Hungarian, medieval Hungarian at that, so pardon the expression given the subject matter, but I am going to butcher the pronunciations. I will do my best though. For those of you who are just getting to know the blood countess, let me give you a little taste of what we're dealing with. Erzsebet was said to have lured young girls, virgin girls, to her castle in the Hungarian countryside where they would be tortured and murdered. The number of girls she killed was recorded as low as 50 and as high as 600, so quite the range there. Erzsebet did this, so the legend goes, because once when one of her servants was brushing her hair, the girl tugged too hard. So naturally, Erzabet beat the girl so hard that the girl's blood splattered onto Erzabet's hand, and Erzabet noticed later that night that her skin seemed rejuvenated. From then on, Erzabet took pleasure in the torture and killing of these young girls so that she could bathe in their blood and retain her youth and beauty. Okay, a lot to unpack there. If your brain is screaming, this sounds like a bunch of horror and vampire movie tropes just strung together, ahem, that's because Erzabet's story basically inspired all of vampire lore, especially Carmilla, which is one of the first recorded vampire novels, even predating Bram Stoker's Dracula by almost 30 years. But we'll get to all that. As we like to do on Storical, let's start at the beginning. Erzabet was a member of the Bathory family. A family that was so rich and powerful, the actual king of Hungary was in debt to them. According to family legend, a man named Fetus set out to slay a dragon that had been causing trouble in the Hungarian countryside. He is said to have killed the dragon with just three strikes of his sword, and for that he was rewarded with two things. A castle, which was the family ancestral homestead, and the name Bathory, which is Hungarian for good hero the family coat of arms, as such, had symbols from the Order of the Dragon, which if that sounds familiar to you, that's because the Order of the Dragon was where Vlad Dracul, father of Vlad the Impaler, got his name. Be sure to hang on to all these little connections. Okay, so that legendary feat took place in about the year 900. In Ergebet's more recent family history, like the hundred years before she was born, there is also a lot to unpack. Elizabeth's grandfather was the right hand of the king, and when there was a peasant uprising that targeted the nobility, he was one of the guys who had a hand in the brutal execution of the peasant leader, a man named Doja, which I'm confident I'm pronouncing wrong. That guy's punishment when he was caught? They put him on a heated throne, stuck a crown into a fire, and put it on his head. Then, as if that wasn't enough, had his accomplices eat his flesh." So that was Erzsebet's grandfather. Another fun side effect of that uprising was that after that, Hungarian peasants were basically slaves. They were required to work for the nobility for free at least one day a week. This is important to note because it aids in understanding how she was able to lure these girls to the castle. They kind of had to do what she said. Anyway, both Erzsebet's parents were born Bathories, meaning they were cousins coming from different branches of the family. Now, to help you place Elizabeth in history, she was born in 1560, so we're talking during Queen Elizabeth I's reign. During her childhood, she received a pretty awesome education by the standards of the day. In Eastern Europe, it was pretty rare for even noble boys to receive academic educations. They mostly just took lessons in war. So the fact that she could speak four languages and had a robust education on par with her contemporary Elizabeth I is pretty unusual. To further provide you with some context of the time and place she was living, here's a story that is told and retold often as part of her legend. When Erzabet was a child, a gypsy was accused of stealing something at one of her family's many estates. As punishment, they sewed this poor guy into the carcass of a dying horse with just his head remaining exposed. It is said that Erzabet was witness to this because why wouldn't you let your 11-year-old watch both a human and an animal die horribly? Some more early childhood memories included spending time with her aunt Clara, who is sadistic and is alleged to have shown her creative ways to torture servants. Clara was also openly bisexual, a testament to her family's wealth and power that she didn't get executed or imprisoned because that was a big no-no at the time. Now, Urgebet was the product of a long line of incestuous marriages that happened to keep money, property, and nobility all in the family so it's not shocking to hear that when she was a child, she suffered from seizures and a violent temper. Because the Middle Ages were the darkest timeline, one of the cures for epilepsy, which was called the falling sickness at the time, was to rub the blood of a non-epileptic on your lips. Sometimes the skull of a non-epileptic was also used. I think you see where we're headed with this. At 11 years old, Elizabeth was betrothed to Ferenc Nedazdi, who was the son of the Palatine of Hungary. The, the Nadajdi family wasn't quite as noble as Bathory. There is a story, no idea how credible it is, but it comes up wherever her story is told that when she was 13, before they actually got married, she had a child by a peasant who was confirmed to have actually existed. So if that is true, it is heavy speculation and further unknown if it was a love affair or rape, which at that age, I'm guessing it was probably rape. Right. When Ferenz found out, he castrated his rival and had her watch as he unleashed rabid dogs on the peasant. Young love. When she did finally marry Ferenz at age 15, he was 19, she opted to keep her maiden name and he took her name, which I do have to say, serial killer or not, that was a pretty boss move for a woman of the time. Okay, so now that they're married, Ferenc promptly heads off to war because Hungary, Transylvania, that whole region, was basically constantly at war during this time. When it wasn't with the Habsburgs of Marie Antoinette fame, it was with the freaking Ottoman Empire. Ferenc was a stone-cold killer, and amidst a climate where you can get sewn up into a horse or forced to sit on a throne of fire, Ferenc still managed to earn a fearsome reputation for himself as the Black Knight of Hungary. Upon their marriage, Erzsebet was given Chaktitza Castle, which was to become her main home and refuge, as well as the site of her brutal murders. Ferenc was illiterate and also constantly at war, sending home even more money and land. Erzsebet, who as we talked about was very learned, was tasked with ruling over their lands. They weren't royalty, although several of her ancestors were the voivodes, or princes, of Transylvania. But at the time, the nobility ruled over the land, and the deal was they were supposed to protect the peasants on their land from invaders. That's how they get away with this horrible class system. And shockingly, by all accounts, she was a very capable ruler. One pretty awesome account that is very Elizabethan in nature was a letter she wrote to someone squatting on one of her estates in which she said, Do not think I shall leave you to enjoy it. You will find a man in me. All right. So, Ferenz is off pillaging, and she's back home taking care of business. When Ferenz does come home, he enjoys showing her some fun torture tricks. It's not clear if she was murdering servants before this started, or if she developed a taste for blood after her Black Knight started giving her torture pointers, but it was on. Together, their favorite torture bonding experience was called star kicking. They would put bits of paper between the toes of young girls, And light them on fire so the victim would thrash and scream until she saw stars. Lovely. Other favorite methods included letting girls freeze to death either in icy water or pushing them out into the snow. And another fun one was covering them in honey and releasing bees. So basically, as you recall from the beginning of the episode, the peasants on her lands were given a raw deal. Herjabet was seen as this super-worldly respectable lady, and the peasants were basically slaves who had to do free labor for the nobility. So it was both an honor and a requirement for them to send girls to wait on her. From the get-go, there were grumblings that girls didn't return home. In the early days, Herjabet would have servants bring the bodies back to the village in caskets and tell the local priest or gravedigger or whoever that the girl had died of cholera, so the casket couldn't be opened, and, oh, could you please bury her for me? This was the Middle Ages, where if you were 40, you were ancient, so just by virtue of being alive at this time, you were probably going to die young, so at least for a while, no one really batted an eye. But then came rumors of girls wailing in the castle. There was an account of a girl running for her life back to the village with a knife still lodged in her foot. But Erzhebet was untouchable, so it was mostly just grumblings, and these were the daughters of peasants, so no one really cared too much. Things started to get real messed up, though, when Ferenz died. He had some prolonged mystery illness that lasted two years before he eventually died in 1604. Before he died, he had asked this guy named Thurzo, who was also some sort of distant cousin to Ergebet, to watch over her and their three children. Thurzo swore his allegiance. Keep that in your back pocket. So if Elizabeth was stressed out before just managing her vast estates with her husband at war, now things were a level 10. She was a widow in a brutal country. She had extreme wealth to the point that the king of Hungary is indebted to her. The woman, quite frankly, slipped over the edge. She had several servants who would help lure girls and one really sadistic servant named Anna who joined in the killing and offered up fun new torture techniques. The murders mostly happened at Chaktitza Castle, but now she was getting even more bold, and she could be out for a carriage ride and would feel the impulse to murder someone, and they'd just do that on the go. Her reasons for killing are not known to this day, although lots of legends have sprung up to explain it. After her death was when the bathing in blood thing got started by a Jesuit priest. Blood actually coagulates very fast, so it's pretty much impossible to bathe in blood, but if you subscribe to the epilepsy theory... Maybe she was killing people because she really thought that rubbing their blood on her lips would help cure her affliction. Others have pointed out that her stress level was through the roof and cruelty was how she eased her stress. No one knows for sure, but like many serial killers, she started to get sloppy. Up to now, she had only focused on murdering lowly peasants. But now she decided to open up what was called a gynesium, which is a fancy word for finishing school for the daughters of other nobles. Nobles didn't care about peasants, so I guess the warnings missed their ears, but they'd send their daughters to learn court etiquette and how to run a household, all that type of stuff, from Ergebet. But she couldn't help herself and started murdering them too. Nobles, unlike peasants, have the ear of the king, a king who, again, is in debt to this widow who has no man to protect her, so an opportunity to get rid of her is super appealing. He has his palatine a man you may remember named Thurzo, go investigate. Thurzo goes to investigate, and according to his account, he walks into a literal horror show. He allegedly finds her mid-murder with dozens of girls dead or dying in the labyrinth of tunnels and rooms in her castle. Thurzo wouldn't let her stand trial, so she didn't get a chance to refute anything, but they have hundreds of witnesses testify against her, including the servants who aided her. The king would have loved to see her dead, but Thurzo, whose intentions are still not clear, arranged for it so that her accomplices were either beheaded or burned at the stake and she was bricked into a tower of her castle, cask of a Montalado style, for the rest of her life, which would only be an additional four years. Okay, so again, a lot to unpack here. It's been speculated that she may not have even killed anyone and that this was a massive plot to get rid of a wealthy, powerful woman. Elizabeth was said to have an interest in herbs and medicines and told investigators that she was trying to heal people. The king had good reason to want her gone, and Thurzo, as a family member, might have wanted a piece of her wealth or just to keep this quiet for the family name, if we are to believe that she was an innocent victim of a smear campaign. The Middle Ages was a brutal, pestilent time, so it's not inconceivable that over her 40 years or so of ruling, that peasants in her care should die. That's what people did then. However, like most things in history, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. The whole idea of bathing in blood to stay young and beautiful is pretty Disney villain and a very gendered crime to ascribe to someone. It's hard to explain something as senseless as murder, but maybe she just really liked to murder people and there was no rhyme or reason to it. Also, if they wanted to get rid of her, they really wouldn't need to say that she murdered 600 people and had an additional 200 people testify. Well, things were probably trumped up at least a little bit. All they would have had to do was say, hey, she's a witch, and they would have burned her. It was 1610 after all. It's generally agreed that 600 is a ridiculous number, and the real number of murdered girls was between 30 and 50. The area in which she lived, however, is one that has been under authoritarian rule throughout much of its history, and honestly, most of the scholarship that has been done about her has really only come out since the fall of the Soviet Union. People heard the story of the blood countess, and it spread across Europe in the 1800s when vampires were in vogue, and Eastern Europe was seen as exotic and dangerous. But there are so many untranslated documents just sitting in crumbling castles and museums, simply by virtue of the fact that the countries in that region didn't have a lot of freedom of the press. So there's so much that we don't know, but it's likely that the story of Erzabet Bathory inspired Carmilla, which was a lesbian vampire novella that came out 30 years before Dracula. It's also speculated that Dracula is based on Erzabet as well. I mean, there's lots of similarities in the story. I can definitely see it. Transylvania alone. There's also the book series Soulless by Gail Carriger, And in that series, there is the Countess Nadajdi, which up until pretty much today, I didn't even realize was Erzabet because I'm used to her going by Bathory. Most of what is known about her is legend or speculation, but the definitive biography of Erzabet Bathory is called Countess Dracula, The Life and Times of Elizabeth Bathory by Tony Thorne. Thorne seems to be the expert on her and has actually gone through quite a few of her documents. He offers an exhaustive look at the theories around her and what he thinks happened. There are several podcasts I listened to that go into this further. The one that I loved was a two part series from Astonishing Legends. I had never listened to it before, but I am now a subscriber. They did a much longer overview than I've had time for here, and they also outline all the theories about whether or not she actually was a murderer. All of these will be linked to in the show notes. There's another podcast just called Serial Killers, and they kind of talked about the psychology of serial killers and how it relates to her. It was informative. But I guess I'm the odd one out because I don't actually really like true crime, so it wasn't something I'd keep listening to, but if you're a true crime fan, definitely a good show. Now, I personally was first introduced to Erzabet through some random book I found on my Kindle several years ago. I'd never heard of her before, and honestly, when I started reading it, it was so insane that I didn't realize she was a real person. The book was called House of Bathory by Linda Lafferty. It was by no means the best piece of literature I've ever read, but I'm pretty sure I read it in October, maybe four years ago, and I enjoyed it. They kind of relate the story of Elizabeth to a modern troubled teenager in America. And honestly, if you're looking for a creepy, fun read, there you go. I'm weird, though. I like horror, but not true crime. Maybe because horror for the most part is fiction and true crime could conceivably happen. Regardless, House of Bathory, I think it's one of those free books that you can get on Kindle Unlimited. Happy Halloween, my dear listeners. I hope you've had a wonderfully fun, creepy October, that you enjoyed the series on Houdini and this special Halloween episode about the Blood Countess. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts so others can find the show. And don't forget to check the show notes if you want to know more about any of the sources and books I used during research for this episode. Join me next week as we change things up completely and begin the tragic tale of the last queen of France.